throughout the world. We're very happy that you're with us. Just about to um, launch into the um, second Bible reading this morning. This is a continuation of um, the passage read by Peter earlier. It's the night before Jesus' death and Jesus is preparing his disciples for life in the world without him. So we're reading John 13, 18 to 38. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Good to be here and to share with you. Um, 
two times ago, um, two times ago when I was here, uh, I spoke from Philippians chapter three, chapter four, um, and talked about the um, the transformation that we go through um, in our walk with Christ. You know, after salvation, um, our daily life becomes a transformation to be more in line with His character, uh, to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And then last time that I was here, we talked about First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen uh, and the um, the importance of using the gifts, God-given gifts and gifts of the Spirit, uh, in love, and how our actions are worth nothing if we don't. So today, uh, continuing on um, that theme, uh, I've chosen to look at John thirteen. There's a number of things in the passage, and we'll just selectively pick up uh, a number of the themes uh, to keep the uh, sermon within your concentration span. <laughs> so, um, there's three things in the chapter, and um, firstly, Christ is explaining the importance of loving others as he has loved us, and uses the washing of the feet as an example um, and it becomes a double example as he's also able to explain to Peter the importance of being washed by Christ or he won't, or, or Peter won't uh, go to heaven uh, and the importance of Christ's role in our salvation. The second theme is um, sending, sending Judas out to do his betrayal and Christ manages that. It's not just something that happens against Christ's will. He, he sets Judas up to do it because it's fulfilling the Father's purpose that he has for Christ to die for us. And the third theme is Christ explaining that he's about to leave them and preparing them for that and for the, the trauma that's about to unfold in the next few hours as um, they go from Thursday night into Good Friday. Uh, and, and we'll look at um, probably the, the, the first and third themes uh, primarily now, um, looking at uh, verse 1, it's, um, uh, well, firstly, chapter 13. Um, it's the f from chapter 13 to chapter 17. There's five chapters all on this Last Supper. So that's just over 20% of the Gospel of John on that one night. Um, so John's sat down and written this after... Um, probably uh, after Christ has um, gone to heaven and he recognises the importance of all the different things that Christ did and said on this evening. So he's, 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 he's uh, devoted that much of his gospel to explaining this evening and all the things that Christ um, told the disciples and did with them on that. So it's a, it's a, if you want to think of it this way, it's, it's the dinner party of the ages. You know, um, Maybe you've been to a, uh, a nice dinner party with some friends and sat around the table having some nice conversation. This is, this is the monster party, really, because of all the incredible things that Christ says and shows them. He's really preparing them for something big here. It's explaining the kernel of the gospel. It's, 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 um, you know, it's um, a wonderful thing that we, we have several eyewitnesses who are there who've written this down for us so we can see... Um, what Christ was on about. Um, and there's a, a couple of 
quite unique things uh, just in these first two verses. If we look uh, in verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, so it was no accident that Christ went to Jerusalem um, and uh, in time for the, the festival that celebrates the slaughter of the lambs and their blood being put on the doorposts in Egypt so that the angel wouldn't kill the firstborn that night. So that's the, that's the celebration that uh, the Passover festival is all about. And here's Christ, the new lamb, under the new covenant. And his blood is shed once and for all. So this, you know, God has a beautiful symmetry in how he does things. Uh, you know, and it's just, Christ doesn't just roll up at Jerusalem and get crucified on any old day. He, he's shown to be who he is. And um, God, uh, God has a... Um, I guess it shows the planning that's gone into this. This is um, not God acting reactively. Then, but the second sentence of verse 1, Jesus knew, um, and we see that again in verse 2, again at uh, verse 3, sorry, uh, Jesus knew. So um, John's trying to point out that Jesus, Jesus had a purpose. He knew what was about to happen, and so he does this. And then in verse 3, he knew something else, and he does that. So it's, it's um, a very intentional behaviour on Christ's part. He's not just making it up as he goes along. So we, say, we see in verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Um, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, so they go from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray, and then... Um, Judas comes back with the chief priests, servants and guards and Christ is arrested, um, questioned, beaten and about 12 hours, 12 to 14 hours after this, he's crucified. So Christ isn't in for a nice sleep this evening. He's, um, you know, he's, he's in for a, a rough time and he knows it. So if you, um, a useful comparison would be um, some of us will die without warning. You, know, you might drop dead while you're mowing the lawn or just suddenly have a stroke or a heart attack and that's it. You don't get a chance to say goodbye. Others of us will know that we're about to pass and we'll have those deathbed conversations with our loved ones and you know, last words and you know, it's a special time if you get that opportunity. This is Christ's deathbed conversation. He's got that moment to sit and think about what he wants to say to these people he loves. and. So there's a number of very considered things that he says here, um, which is really special, but we have a record of it. Um, so it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, yeah, that's a, a really kind thing for um, someone who's about to be beaten and crucified to be thinking of. He's not. He's not sort of saying, oh, and the way you do this, you just fix that. And, oh, make sure you don't do, you know. He's not coming out with his little list of whinges and complaints. And, you know, um, he's actually lovingly trying to help them to understand what the gospel is all about, why Christ is going to die. So that, as he says later in the chapter, these things, um, you do not realise what I'm doing, but later you will understand um, what a blessing um, to have gone through the crucifixion and not have this evening of explanation 
would have been a lot harder for the disciples to understand what, what was really going on. So verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew, here's that second Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So he could have struck Judas dead. You know, if he was a vengeful God, if he was a selfish God, he just could have killed Judas on the spot and said, they will teach it, you know. Um, but he doesn't. He sets Judas up to do the Father's will because he knows he needs to die for our sins. Um, so he knew the Father had put all things under his power. He's, he's not the victim here. He's not the passenger. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, what are you doing? Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realise what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. It wasn't about the feet. Uh, it, the washing the feet, you know, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, they did a lot of walking, the roads were dusty, they wore sandals, their feet were filthy when you came to a party or a meal together. Uh, a servant or a slave would wash everyone's feet to get the dirt off so you could walk around the nice tiles without leaving dust and mud everywhere. So it's a menial task. It's usually given to a lowly servant. You don't need a PhD to wash someone's feet. Uh, and Christ is, is uh, giving the example of servant leadership and humility in doing that. Um, when I was a, an undergrad student at university, um, there was a bit of a thing about um, going on campus, as the church will be doing later this year, and they'd have a little foot washing ceremony or something like that. But no one was washing the dishes after the meals, you know. And uh, so it's important not to get carried away with the symbolism. It's really about loving each other. And Christ is, is, um, is, is demonstrating that and explaining that. And he returns to that later on in the chapter after Judas has left when he says... Um, you know, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, and by this everyone will know that you're my disciples, um, that you love one another. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, if you look at that, that's the, as, a, as a key purpose of the, the foot washing. Um, you know, um, one of the aspects that might help us is to understand um, um, why, why does Christ say by this people will know that you're my disciples you know it's because and because this is God's character yeah so um, if you follow a corrupt leader and you behave corruptly people might understand that you're one of the corrupt leader's people if you follow a loving leader who is holy and loving, you need to exhibit the character of the leader if people are going to understand who you are. So the importance of loving one another is that how can we represent a, a loving God if we don't love one another? Um, and uh, how can we understand that God if we don't take on his character and, and reflect that? Um, 
do we really admire him? To, um, if, if you don't, uh, to uh, fill that out, uh, if we look at um, back in the Old Testament, now, uh, as you know, there's the, the old covenants that the people were under in the Old Testament, and then when Christ comes and dies for our sins, we enter the new covenant. But um, if we have a look at um, Exodus 20, when God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, it says uh, in verse 5 of, of Exodus 20, yeah, you shall not bow down to, to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, in verse 6, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's really important there that he hasn't said showing uh, love to a thousand generations of those who keep my commandments. If he just said, you know, just keep my commandments, that's fine. We could all be super pious, self-righteous, and as long as you're good at following the rules, God will bless you and love you. But he doesn't say that. He says, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So, you know, that old scary God of the Old Testament, he was on about love too, and he wanted his people to love him. And it wasn't enough just to follow the commandments. Uh, in Leviticus... Uh, Leviticus chapter 19 uh, it's a list of uh, laws for the Israelites and um, verse 18 says do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbour as yourself so um, you know, there's nothing new about what Christ is on about at the Last Supper it's a continuation of the same character and the same theme. And um, uh, and um, if that's the God that we have, that's um, obviously why it's important that if we're being transformed to be like him, then we need to understand this. Hmm. Now, after, after the washing of the feet and, and uh, dealing with uh, Peter's objections and explaining the, um, the necessity of it, um, Jesus sends um, Judas out to go to the high priest and do, uh, to betray Jesus. Uh, and um, without dwelling on that uh, beyond what we've already said, um, then we can pick up on um, on the uh, the last stage where um, sorry I just lost my, my place uh, where um, Jesus uh, after sending Judas out tries to return to the message of the washing of the feet with verse 30, 34, 35 the new command I give you that you love one another and Simon Peter who, um, in a way, he's, he represents us, really. Uh, he's not a good listener. Um, he cuts across Christ in verse 35 and says, Lord, where are you going? You know, you know, he's not really listening to that love one another stuff. You know, he's he's um, got his own train of thought. 
And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Um, and Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Um, there's a little bit of hubris in this, obviously. Um, Peter wants to demonstrate his, um, his faithfulness, his loyalty, and in a way, his own importance in that he will stick with Christ and he will protect Christ with a sword if need be. And um, Jesus um, lets him down gently in verse 38 with, um, with uh, pointing out that Peter will deny him that night before the cock crows and do it three times. Um, that's, in a way, uh, it's a little bit like parenting. Um, those of you who've had children, especially if you've had multiple children, you might be telling your children something, but one of them's asking questions on a different topic um, through the whole process. It just happens, and you've got to kind of answer the Simon Peter amongst your, your crowd whilst you're still getting the main message over. And that happens both with the washing of the feet, and that happens... Uh, when, when Christ is trying to tell them, look, I'm about to leave you, you can't go there now, but you will later. And Peter's off on his own thing, asking his own questions. And, um, and yet, Peter is the leader. You know, and so if that's, if that's what the leader does, you know, what kind of crazy things are going on in the minds of the other guys? You know, keeping in mind, uh, two of the other guys said, oh, could we sit on your right-hand side in heaven? You know, they're, they're really not understanding servant leadership, they're not understanding um, the gospel and the, and the, the essence of uh, grace and holiness. Now, um, why is this important? Well, programmatic evangelism has, uh, has a, a legitimate place in what we do. So we've looked at you know, the Alpha course that's being set up here. That's a good thing. It's, a, it's important, it's a great way for people to find out about the gospel and there are people who come to faith through those programs. But um, underpinning the Alpha program and underpinning your day-to-day -day interaction with whoever you interact with, Monday to Friday or Monday to Sunday, um, is the integrity of your relating and that's based on your character, uh, your aspirational character as well as your failings. And that's, that's where this really, the rubber hits the road. Um, uh, going back to parenting again, have you ever tried to parent a child towards holiness without loving them? Well, good luck with that. You know, you'll be resented and you'll be remembered if you haven't loved the child, or you'll be remembered unkindly if you haven't loved the child. It's pointless trying to teach your child holiness without loving them. And it's pointless trying to run an alpha course without loving each other. Not just the, the uh, outsiders who have come along, but loving each other, you know. Um, because if you want to look at it this way, um, God uses a holy framework and he applies it with love. And if he, if he just used holiness without love, he wouldn't actually be holy. So holy, love is integral to holiness. And 
your credibility as a Christian in your daily witness uh, relies on people not just seeing holiness in your behaviour, but love with holiness. A gracious love, not a transactional love. So this is why uh, back in verse 1, you know, Christ, it's the start of the, um, the record of the Last Supper. And Christ looks around the room and he, he knows his time has come and he looks at those God has given him and he loves them. So his, his mind isn't, the first thing on his mind isn't, ah, oh, there's Judas, you know, and well, there's that fool Peter and there's, you know, he's not going through the list of failings. He's looking at the room, he knows the trauma they're about to go through, let alone the trauma he's about to go through, and he's trying to prepare them and explain it to them so that they understand the gospel because this is the group he's entrusting um, the leadership of the faith to. You know, um, at the time that Christ died, there was roughly 200 to 250 followers, they think. Um, and this is, this is the leadership team, so to speak. And um, you can see they, they're grasping at straws. They don't understand very much at this point. Obviously, by the time John sits down and writes this, he's, he's understood a lot more than he probably did on the night. Um, and key to all of that is that he's understood, because he leads out with verse 1, Christ, um, look, uh, let's read it so I get it right. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So that's what, the, that's what the Last Supper's all about. Explaining it to them, loving them, in a, explaining it in a loving way and helping them to understand the gospel and the trauma and why it's okay that Christ is dying for them. Um, and um, if you think, if you reflect back on uh, my uh, last few visits, First uh, Corinthians 13, of course there's no point. Uh, it says in First Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 13, um, you can have the gift of faith, but if you do not love, you're nothing. You can have the gift of prophecy, but if you do not love, you're nothing. You know, Paul had learnt it. He was not, wasn't at the Last Supper, but it's, it's just true. Everything that we do, whether it's the Alpha course, whether it's um, reaching out to your friends and sharing the gospel with them one-on-one, -on -one, or whether it's just how we go about our daily life, it's nothing if there isn't love and holiness in that. And it doesn't matter that we have failings because people will see the love and the holiness. And that's, that's the integrity of our witness. Uh, and it's also the satisfaction as well. Um, rather than um, holding on to grudges, seeking revenge, uh, being bitter, uh, to, to instead uh, love and, and uh, treat each other uh, gently uh, with the fruits of the Spirit um, produces a given outcome and probably addresses your uh, problems more effectively. So we don't have time to go on to the other chapters, but in, um, uh, if you want to read through uh, the other chapters of the Last Supper, you know, chapter 15, uh, Christ gives the, uh, I am the true vine, no one comes to the Father but through me. 
you know, he's using this evening as a wonderful explanation of different facets of the gospel so that he can understand uh, what all this is about. And as he says there, you may not understand now, but looking back, you know, you will. Um, so I hope that that's uh, an encouragement for you, uh, with the, both with the Alpha course um, and with the opportunity that you have to look after your own through this terrible event that happened yesterday. Um, you, you've got... Um, you know, we, we're, we're limited people, we, we only have so much, but we can look after each other with love and uh, as God has loved us. Amen. You going to announce the